Welcome to the summer edition of the Sprint Success with Design Thinking podcast. How do you navigate change? It's a question we think about often and one that today's world expects us to be comfortable with. The challenge, however, is where do you begin and how do you develop the mindset and skill set to be successful? Welcome everyone to the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Saba Kidwai. Join me each week as I share the stories and strategies from the world's leading researchers and practitioners about why they believe the answer lies in practicing design thinking. I'd love if you could give us a bit of a high level overview of the second machine age and kind of just, you know, how would you explain to somebody what's happening right now? Well, I think we're in a time of tremendous change and we call it the second machine age in kind of a parallel to what happened with the first industrial revolution or the era when we first started using machines to replace our muscles. Now machines are augmenting our brains and uh, artificial intelligence is a big piece of that, but really just computerization more broadly. It used to be affecting just a few narrow slices of the of society and the economy. Now it's affecting just about everything. I mean, every industry is being affected. And as you mentioned, you know, our politics are being affected, in, in not always in, in good ways. Um, AI really is controlling um, what kinds of things are in our social media feeds, what kinds of ads we see, um, what news gets curated. And the intent from the people who use these two tools is to increase engagement, you know, find things that we find more interesting, which can be good. It can be make it more interesting for us um, by definition and more engaging. But often the things that are more engaging aren't necessarily the things that are true. Um, my colleague Sinan Arrell did some amazing research with, uh, with Deb Roy and others at, at MIT showing that false news spreads three times faster than truth. And it's not because these algorithms specifically try to push falsehoods. It's because the false news is just tends to be more engaging. I mean, what's more unbelievable than something that's not true? <laughs> no, absolutely. So, you know, that kind of sets out almost like this, like really like negative, almost like, you know, and I think a lot of people have that fear of technology, fear of AI, but you definitely have always had a bit more of an optimistic outlook. And I think the book presents an optimistic outlook um, if we implement certain things. And you have this one quote you share that technology doesn't shape destiny, we shape our destiny. And I remember hearing that line that we shape our destiny is really kind of what led me down that path of investigating from an education standpoint, okay, like how can we go about doing that? So tell us a little bit, should we fear AI? Should we be scared of these things? What's sort of your take on that? Well, I think that quote, which is the last line of the second machine age, um, sums up very well my philosophy. I, I like to call myself a mindful optimist. Uh, I think that we have the potential to have the next 10 years be the best 10 years in human history, but it, it's not at all automatic. We have tools that are more powerful than any tools we've ever had before. And by definition, a tool allows you to change things. It's, it, you can use it to amplify your skills and to do new things. Um, but they aren't automatically used to make things better. It depends on what our choices are. So a really important message is not to look at AI as necessarily bad, that's going to do terrible things, or AI necessarily good, that's equally uh, mistaken. We have to look at AI as something that amplifies our values. And that puts a lot more weight on us thinking carefully about what we want these tools to do. We can, if we want to, use these tools to create more broadly shared prosperity, and education, something you've been working on, is a big part of that. But I don't want people to get complacent and uh, and think that 
you know, we're doomed or that everything's going to work out okay. I'm happy that we have such powerful tools because mostly I think that if we really put our minds to it, we will use these tools to make the world a better place, but it requires, you know, constant attention and vigilance. Can you like share a little bit more about what you mean when you say sort of like that constant attention and how we have to kind of transform? Because I know you kind of, you made this comparison that, you know, in the first, like the second industrial revolution, when things first happened and we, you know, had the introduction of electricity, that a lot of people didn't really change the processes that really leverage that. Can you share a little bit about sort of like that comparison and how you see that in context to like now? Yeah, that's a really important lesson. It's really a a focus of a lot of my research, this idea that technology by itself is not enough. You need to make a lot of complementary innovations. And electricity is a a great example because we can look back, you know, with the benefit of 100 years of history to see how it turned out. When American factories first electrified, surprisingly, there was almost zero productivity effect. Researchers like Paul David, David showed that. But then they went and gradually started changing the way things were organized. They moved from having the steam engine, which had a central power source and pulleys and levers driving all the machinery, to having separate electric motors in each location. And once they did that, once they moved from that centralized structure to a new format where often the equipment was laid out over several acres, a single story factory, a very different layout than it was during the steam engine era, that's when you started getting huge productivity improvements, doubling and tripling of productivity. But strikingly, that took about 30 years or so, 30 to 40 years. And the real transition was the reinvention of work, not simply unplugging the steam engine and plugging in an electric motor. I think that's a very good analogy for what's going on today. I've seen it in many, many ways with actually the original steam engines in the 1820s with uh, internal combustion engines, with computerization, with AI, with internet, with each wave, people like you and me and managers have to rethink how we organize work um, and even how we organize our society and democracy to take advantage of these tools and not end up making things worse by misusing them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think COVID almost like forced us all into that scenario. What role do you think COVID has played sort of in helping people think about exactly what you just shared? Well, you're, you know, we're doing it right now. We're, we're talking, uh, I guess, uh, you're in Southern California. I'm in Northern California, but I, I'm doing, uh, we're all doing these, uh, these Zoom discussions and it's really accelerated a lot, the use of some of these technologies, remote work. I, I recently wrote a paper with some colleagues showing that about 15% of Americans work remotely in January of 2020, and that got up to 50%, more than a tripling by the middle of the year because of COVID, obviously, uh, people couldn't go into work and they had to work remotely. Not everybody could do it, so it had very disparate effects, but it dramatically accelerated the adoption of some technologies. Technologies, by the way, that were already in place. I mean, Zoom, Slack, email, all these tools were sitting there, but it was a force that um, drove us to use them more uh, extensively. And I think that that that's a a good example of what's happening more broadly, that there are a whole bunch of very powerful tools out there. And when push comes to shove, we can learn to use them. Now, some of them are going to turn out much better than we expected. Some of them will turn out worse than we expected, but that's the learning experience. Um, In in other research, we showed that there's what what we call a productivity J-curve with most of these technologies. It looks like a J because at first, oftentimes there's a negative effect. Productivity goes down 
but then later the upside of the J curve productivity really starts taking off. And um, that, that period of slowing down can take uh, months or even years. It's why we're trying to sort through and figure out how to take advantage of these technologies. We saw it with electricity, we saw it with the steam engine, we saw it with a lot of different technologies. And uh, part of my research agenda is to kind of compress that downward part of the J curve and get us to have more time where we're harvesting the benefits. It's your turn to join the conversation by sharing what you enjoyed or what questions you still have. In a world where time and attention are so valuable, thank you for choosing to listen and for being a part of our Sprint to Success with Design Thinking community. 